Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I am joined once again by my co-host, Wilkie Law. Will, how are you? So wonderful. And we are excited tonight to have a uh, fellow northerner who actually is also teaches in Houston, Brittany Blair, on the podcast. Brittany, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so we were just talking. We have actually quite a bit in common kind of across the three of us where um, I follow you on Instagram and then I saw on, that you taught at a, at a high school that was right next to the middle school that I used to teach at. And then it turns out that we're both yeah. from uh, the great north, as Will would call it. But uh, no, we were excited. We could, we were excited. We could connect with you. I'm excited too. That's really cool. I I know a lot of people. They they kind of make that transition from up north down here to teach. I've met a lot of people like uh, Michiganders. I think that's what they go by. That that moved down here. Yeah, and just I don't know. It's, it's I mean, did you experience, like, it was harder to find jobs up north? Oh, my goodness. Like, uh, I graduated college in 2008, and in, like, 15 months of applying for jobs, like, in the Midwest, like, all over, I had one interview. And when I I went to a job fair in Minneapolis that was for all the Minnesota universities, and I met with a guy from Aldean, and he was just like, hey, will you come down and interview? And I said, Sure. And then yep. I, I, I flew down and That's interviewed. That's literally my story, too. Yeah, I flew down and interviewed, and two weeks later, they offered me a job, and, like, a month later, I moved. <laughs> so. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that was me, too. Yeah, so. Yes, I actually already knew. I didn't even, I didn't look once in Minnesota or anything. I already knew. I was like, I, I, I knew from other teachers, because I had to stay an extra semester, because I, I changed majors. So I had to I had to stay an extra semester for another course. So I didn't actually I graduated in the fall instead of the spring. So I had to wait until the next fall to be able to even start teaching. So I'm hearing from people that I went to school with how hard it was to find a job in in Minnesota, and nobody wanted to leave the state. And I'm just like, heck, I I'll go to another state somewhere. And honestly, I'm so sick of shoveling snow and stripping windows. I just I wanted to be somewhere warm so badly, and when I knew that there was going to be an education job fair, I went and I didn't, I just, uh, in a, ahead of time, I looked and checked out all the schools and I was looking only at the schools that were going to be warm and warm locations. So it, it, what's crazy is to even go to a booth in Wisconsin or Minnesota, you had to make a, an appointment two weeks prior to even go to the booth. Oh so it's just, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. That's exactly the way it was for me. Like, you know, all of the, the, Minneapolis suburb schools like you know the Blaines and the Edinas and the Woodberries they were all like you had to wait like an hour in line and I literally I bet I talked to people from I I know for sure I remember I talked to people from Houston people from Dallas Austin Arizona Las Vegas Virginia Washington DC and like all of those people I just walked right up and didn't even have to wait and it was so crazy because there was I mean, that's like the thing. There were so many people looking for so few jobs at the time. But I, you know, like I told you, I'm back in Wisconsin now. And I, and if you ever move back, you're going to pay your penance because this was like the longest winter in the history of the world. The first winter I came back. We had. Oh, my gosh. We had snow days. We had two snow days this year in April. Yes. Because uh, my, my parents still live there, so they always keep me updated with the weather. But it just, my mom, she loves taking p- pictures of nature, and so she'll just, all her Facebook was was just pictures of the snow out the window constantly. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Nothing has changed. It's just still white, and, you know, I don't miss that at all. At yeah. all. Yeah, I will say, and though. And snow here in Houston. And then right. everybody, like all the kids, all the kids were like, Miss Blair, isn't this great? It's snowing. Isn't it great? And I was like, I was so like, Ugh, are you kidding me? So negative. Ugh, gross. <laughs> right. Right. But I, I will say, though, and, and you can attest to this, that, that this time of year, though, is, is like the best time to be in the Midwest, though. I agree. And that's the beauty of being a teacher here, too, is that you get the summers off. To go, I can go home if I want to. Actually, I've been really bad, and I've been 
depressing, and I have not bought a plane ticket home, but I am doing some other traveling. I'm going to Colorado and New Mexico for a couple weeks in, in a bit, so at least I'm kind of escaping, and maybe I'll buy a plane ticket, so I don't know, but I hear you. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. All right. So, Will, do you want to get started and just kind of explain to her what the, the purpose of the podcast and what we hope people get out of well, it is? Well, we, when we, Kyle, this is Kyle's brainchild. I'll just be honest. He, he wrote me into the idea of the uh, podcast so that we can actually get teachers' voices out to the mass. Because a lot of times when, you, when you're watching the news, most of the news that make, most of the teachers that make the news is typically in a negative fashion. And we wanted it to be something more than just a gripe fest about the things that are not being prepared, but an actual structured conversation with other with educators so that other educators may be encouraged by saying, look, okay, it's not just me. This is everywhere. We're all facing the same thing, the same challenges. Let's learn from each other and grow from each other. So that's kind of where we're going with the podcast. And we're okay. really honored that you're here. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be so, here and share my story. Yes, yeah, so, so we're talking about the story. We're going to go into our, we ask everyone this question. Uh, who is your favorite teacher and why? My favorite teacher. So I went to a small public high school, 7th through 12th grade, and so I had some teachers more than once. Um, but one teacher that I had from 9th grade to 12th grade was my math teacher, um, Mr. Chad. So because I had him that long, I had that time to really build a relationship with him. But he was just so real and funny and really connected. And he really got me out of my shell because I, I had been very um, kind of to myself and not very confident. But um, he just really had a way of, like, connecting with every student and making them laugh. Um, and then it also helped that our class sizes were small, so it was more intimate. Um, we had fun things like Donut Day on Fridays, so we'd have rotations where we all take turns bringing donuts, and it just felt like a family. We even made we made a mix CD um, back when people use CDs, but um, he like <laughs> made an album cover for us, and then each of us got to pick a song, and then we got to put our name by the song, and that was our pick. So it just really he had a really good way of making everybody feel welcome. Awesome. That made me smile. Like, I couldn't stop smiling the entire time you were talking, telling that story. Oh. I, I can envision it. I mean, it's like that. When you're when you're from a smaller setting, you can you you have that opportunity to do that, and that's that's awesome. Right? Don't you wish it was like that with every class? I mean, I wish I could give every student that intimate setting, and it's mm -hmm. it's sad when you have these classrooms that are just piled of thirty kids, thirty five kids, whatever it may be, and it's. And it's just getting worse and worse. <laughs> I, I crave that, and I know the kids do too. Where they and I try my best to try to, you know, get to every student, reach every kid, you know, even just a little thing every day. But it it makes a huge difference when you're able to have those smaller class settings for sure. Right, and even today when I was um, I was in a PD this morning, and um, Chad Seals, who's Pink uh, Law, that's his first plug, so we we'll have to reach out to him. Um, but he, uh, he said that they polled a bunch of students in the, around the New York or Baltimore area, and all of these students, they asked them what things could they bring to the school, to the classroom, to, to change the, the environment and the culture. And he was expecting things like off, I, you know, iPads, one-to-one -one ratio or technology and all these different things. He said, but they said they crave relationships. Oh, wow. That's the one thing that they craved that, that they felt could change the entire culture of the school is by changing how the relationships go. So, I mean, you're oh, right wow. on point with every kid wants that. I mean, every kid wants that. I mean, growing up, that that's what's right. sold, is that, that that type of lifestyle of being able to have build those and leverage those trusting relationships with people around you. So true. Exactly. So, uh, next question. Tell us the story of how and why you became a teacher. So I actually had no interest in being a teacher ever. Um, I took a career path test my senior year in the computer lab, and I remember, like, all these kids are getting these cool careers, and then I just get teacher. And I'm like, really? They make no money. I don't want to do that. That's ridiculous. Like, I can do better than that, right? So I go, what's the school for engineering? I'm like, I'm going to be an engineer, make all this money. And I, was, I, I got through the program for two and a half years. 
and I was dying, dying. So um, it got to the point where I just, it, it felt like I was trying to pry open a door that isn't opening. Like I just kept trying to go through it. I was trying all these engineering and applying for these internships and everything. Um, but I was getting so stressed. The schooling was really hard. Like things just were falling apart. Um, and, and I remember I was doing like this, it was really hard uh, homework for my, one of my engineering classes. That was like a one question was like three pages long. And I was living, my roommates at the time I was living with, they, they were making these storybooks for their elementary education class. And they're complaining about how hard it is to make these booklets. And I'm just looking at them like, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're complaining about these booklets and I have to do this paper. But anyways, it, it, it was like, I, I just was like, no way, I'm not going to be a teacher. But then I started meeting more people that were in the, in the, in the actual um, program for teaching. And I worked at, during, um, during college, I worked at Home Depot. And one of my coworkers was in school for being a math teacher. And she was going to be teaching abroad. And it just seemed so exciting. And she was telling me all about the program and how great it is. And so I don't really remember exactly what she said that made me excited about it. But um, I was, I was like, instantly like, okay, maybe I'll switch to that. Maybe I'll do that. And it's crazy because as soon as I went back home to my apartment, the TV was on, and it was on the, the movie Freedom Riders. You know that movie? Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what are the chances? Like, this movie with the teacher that's so impactful is on right now. And I was just talking to her about, like, how I wasn't sure what to do. So it was just, like, a crazy moment where I was like, okay, maybe I should just give it a try. Like, why not? So I I went to school. I changed my major. I changed it to teaching math because my whole strategy was I've already done all these credits for math, and I love math. And actually, I was done with math at that point for engineering, and I actually missed math. I didn't want to admit it. But I was like, okay, I'm a math nerd. So... I, I finished up my teaching, and I did um, student teaching in a really rough school in Duluth, Minnesota, and then I went to Ireland, and I student taught there, too, and so I got, like, a really well fun experience with traveling and getting out of my comfort zone, and I just absolutely loved it, so here I am. I finished up my fourth year of teaching. I did two years in ninth grade, and I'm out of middle school now. I did two years of seventh grade, and now next year I'm doing eighth grade. Awesome. That's that's a story. Yeah. <laughs> that's my story and that, right it, there. It, you know, and I, and I, I appreciate that too because, like, I remember I in school I was asked I wanted to be a teacher, but I didn't really? know that I went into teaching. Like, I didn't know I wanted to be a teacher, but my memory book back then when we usually have memory books that you sign at the end of the year and it asks you all the questions like, you know, what did you want to be in ten years? You see yourself in ten years. I actually wrote in mine teaching music. Because I was in music, oh, wow. I, was a I was a drum major, so I was like, I want to be somewhere teaching music. But then, when I got to college, I wasn't even thinking about teaching. Like, I was thinking about just trying to get into business and trying to, you know, do things like that. So I took social classes, sociology and psychology classes, but nothing based on education until after I graduated. And it was my actual third career choice <laughs> to actually go into oh, the So I kind of fought. You were kind I of knew it, but I too. fought. <laughs> yeah, same thing, same thing, yep. Nice, yeah. nice, and I was going to ask you where you went to school, but obviously the the answer is UMD, so um, to give you a little context of where I'm from, you know, Superior's right on the other side of, you, of Duluth, right? Yeah, yeah. So if, if you go so, basically yeah, straight, went- straight south from Superior, like 60 miles, that's where I grew up. Oh, okay, very yeah. cool. yeah. There we go. I can t- I can place that now on the map. Absolutely. That. So, all right. So, <laughs> what we what we'd love for you to do in this next part is just we've got some phrases and we'd love for you to finish them. So, the first phrase is the value of a great teacher is. So value, if it's value like how much money are they worth? I think they're worth more than they're being paid now. <laughs> or some people might say they're priceless. Um, but also, like, what makes a great teacher valuable is if they're patient and kind or um, just seeking to find the best qualities in each of their students. Mm. So let me, re- I got to write that down. Seeking to find, that's so good. 
All right. So the the next one is um, the hardest part of teaching is. I would say it's having the hard talks with certain students about their poor choices. Um, so you know when they just there's those kids that they just disappoint you or they they make the same mistakes over and over again and frustrating is hard for sure. And then I'd say the hardest part, as in like a, a tedious part, would be the grading, of course. Yeah. I mean, do you do you notice a, a difference in the conversations when you're having a conversation with, you know, a tough conversation with, you know, your ninth graders versus your seventh graders? It is very different. I feel like the frontal lobe of their brain is like, especially with the boys, it's not there. So they're very impulsive. And it's like you have to consistently like remind them about their choices or have them fill out like one thing I did. Um, more so my first year in middle school was a behavior reflection sheet and so they would have kind of like a timeout. I had a mentor teacher my first year of middle school and um, she, she said I could send kids to her room and um, use that as kind of like a timeout room. So I had a really rough, a really, really rough first year in middle school. Just the class in general was really, really rough and always pushing boundaries trying to see what they could get away with so I had a lot of those sheets filled out and then some of them to her, her class to really reflect and a lot of times that's what they just need they need like that time out to really think about okay yeah that was stupid that didn't I didn't need to do that I didn't I was just looking for attention or that was rude of me I interrupted the lesson you know so that yeah. is definitely hard yeah and I can I, I feel you there because when I was when I left Hambrick I was teaching eighth grade and I went down to sixth grade and, and I, and I thought there was going to be a, a closer connection. And, and that's really one of the things that Wilkie and I really started talking about was just on a personal level, how was I approaching these kids? Cause I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe that they just hadn't thought through some of the decisions they make. Like they, they seem just so out there. I'm like, how, how did you not think that through? And and I will say, too, that, that Wilkie was the one on our team that really started us using the reflection card, too, to where you just give the kid a question like, hey, reflect on your behavior. And it actually worked really well. Yes. It was so, it's so true. They don't do the reflection part before they do the action. It's like just something that they, they have to learn how to do. And eventually, you know, I hope, I hope that they get it. And most of them will. But we can do the best we can to show that to them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so the one thing I wish parents knew about teaching is? I think the hardest thing is that they don't realize how, how busy we are. And at least at, at MacArthur, at the ninth grade school in Aldine, it wasn't so much like this. I, I, it was like zero interaction to the point where I, I was like craving that parent interaction. Like, I wish I could communicate with you. But here it's the opposite where I have parents feel like their child is the only student that matters sometimes not every parent but there are some like that where there's more of the helicopter parents and so um just kind of I think I think that they're so afraid some of them are so afraid to let their child fail I know that sounds kind of bad but I mean at middle school I would say I would say middle school is probably the best place for your child to actually test the waters and fail because it's, it's not high school yet you know so giving them a chance to try to advocate for themselves and communicate with the teacher. And that's something I try to encourage parents to encourage their children to do as well. You know, I don't, I don't want to hear from you. I want to hear from your, your, your child and have them communicate with me if they have a problem. So it's, it's, I wish they knew that I do care about their child. Um, and that I think it would do their child the best service if they had their child, you know, stepping up and trying to advocate for themselves. Wow, that, uh, you're, that you're right on, on target. I was just having a conversation with my wife. She's um, she's an educator also, and and we were talking about the students having owning the responsibility of their learning. That we have to start mm -hmm. that shift of the of that paradigm of students have to own what they're doing. They have to own their yeah. experience. Because if they don't own it, then they feel like, oh, that's somebody else's life. That's somebody else's situation, and I don't have to deal with it. And it keeps them in that almost that irresponsible state. And it's moving too fast now. Life is moving too fast for them to stay in that immature state. 
for too long. You're so right. Um, yeah. So, so you were right on target with that, allowing them to, to be, teach them to be advocates for themselves. That's, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Yeah. Just, just to keep it moving, I'm going to skip one of the phrases, but I'm going to ask you the last one that I think is really important as well. Um, the most rewarding part of teaching is? I think the most rewarding part is seeing the kids that go from being really shy and reserved in class to being like really comfortable and out of their shell and confident in their abilities in the classroom. And I just... I love to see how surprised they, they look when they figure something out or when they um, surprise themselves. Like, it's just great. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In math, I call, I call that my magic moment when the light bulb comes on. Yes. And it's like, I you love see it. it. You see it. And it's, it's, it's yeah, it's a great feeling. Million dollar awesome. moment. Right? I agree. And just seeing how they transition just in the, in the long run, too, like, looking back at the beginning, like, this one girl, for example, this year, like, very, very quiet to herself, didn't really talk to anybody in the classroom, and then I did the seating change, and she met met a friend, and they're, like, just best friends now, and you get to see her come out of her shell, and they work so well together, and so it's really cool just seeing how they, they all change, too, throughout the year for the good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, this is kind of what will give you an opportunity to kind of get on your soapbox a little bit. Um, <laughs> I mean, because every teacher wants it. I mean, if you, you know, most of the teachers, they, they, they have their, their opinions about this. So what is your take on the state of education today? Okay, so this is a very deep question, right? And so I, I probably won't get into, like, a huge deal, but... I'll just kind of tell you about my my experience with this question. So um, it's definitely a system that is broken, and it has been for a while. Um, and it's definitely part of why I moved, um, like we were talking about before, from Minnesota to Texas, because my starting salary in Houston was $20,000 more here than back where I'm from in Minnesota. So... I knew wow. I wouldn't have to go and, and start a new job or I wouldn't have to take and work two jobs and a weekend job and maybe an after-school job. And I didn't realize how impossible that seems. And it surprises me that people can do that and function because I, I worked out of, like I was saying, I worked right out of college as, and I worked as a bartender. And I kind of that transition before getting my first teaching job. And I was working with a bunch of teachers that would – come straight after school, straight to the bar, the bartend, and that's a busy, chaotic environment, too, so it's just, it's like no peace, and it's something I didn't realize until later when I become a teacher, and I realized, wow, how did this person, how do these people even effectively, how do they plan lessons, how do they really reflect at all, how do they have any time to refresh to be the best that they can be, so that's, that's one part that's like really, it connects with me that I've seen. Another thing is um, just the fact that, especially here in Texas, I don't really remember it being like this in Minnesota, but testing is like a whole other monster here. It's, it's, it's really intense. There's a lot of testing. We do a lot of growth testing, but not only that, but there's like district mandated testing along with the school mandated testing, along with the state mandated testing. So it's all of this stuff, and it takes out all this time for um, actually teaching. And it seems like a lot of times, at least not so much at the school I teach at because it's, it's an IB school and they're trying to make it more innovative, especially this year. Um, I'm part of this innovation team. I'm not really sure what it's going to look like yet, but they're trying to do more things project-based kind of, you know. So it's going to kind of be a lot less intense with the state testing, but in all being, I felt like we were constantly, every prep period, they were talking about our sport and how we compared to every other teacher. And it was, all we were was, it, it seemed like they just looked at us for what our scores were. And that's how the students feel, too. It, it, it rubs off on them, too. They feel the pressure from their teachers to perform because their teachers are having that pressure to perform. And so they just become numbers. And we pack all these kids into classrooms like sardines, and we just teach them how to pass a test. And so they're not being prepared for the future that they, they will need to face after high school. And so those are the main two problems that I think we're experiencing right now. 
Yeah. You know, the uh, presenter today made the comment about the differences between people teaching critical thinking skills and how that critical thinking skills should not be some privilege or some esoteric ideal that it should be yeah. available to everybody. And I think when you when you have he expressed it, you know how teaching a class of 200 teachers today, it's difficult to really challenge the critical thinking. Great, you know, we had six hours with him, so he was able to do it. But he's like, think how much more you could grow if it was a group of 20 or a group of 10. And he talked about his experience growing up in Brooklyn and going from a class of 30 to 35, you know, to a class of 12 when he got moved into the gifted and talented program. So, you know, it's like you you notice that when, when you when you provide teachers with the right environment, then you can get those and produce those critical thinkers and those students who will really be those innovators and move and understand the value of what they're being provided. You know, exactly. and it's kind of hard to do that when you're playing a shuffle game. Exactly. So, you're so right. So um, the next question we're going to ask is a little more personal. Is uh, dealing with what is your philosophy of education? What do you subscribe to? Okay. So, um, I definitely, um, I believe in educating the student as a whole. So, it's not just about, like, when I went into teaching, I, I wasn't even really concerned about what subject I taught. I, I chose math, like I said, I chose math because I had those credits, but I was more so into it for the relationships and building students all around, like, well-rounded students, you know? So, I want be able to challenge students to grow in areas they struggle with. So, like we are talking about before, a lot of 12, 13-year-old kids, they come in and they're, they don't know how to advocate for themselves, like we talked about, or um, their organizational skills aren't there. So, you try to push them out of their comfort zone to grow in these areas. So, as far as my teaching style goes, I, I think that um, learning is a result of being curious, and it needs to be done by presenting information that leads them to inquiry. Um, I want them. I want them to discover the beauty of mathematics, and not just lecture at them. Um, so I, what I do with my lessons is I, I try to make it more hands-on for them. Um, like when we're doing volume, um, actually having something for them to physically touch and manipulate, and be able to play with um, filling up the object and compare the volume of a of a pyramid to a prism and discover the formula. Um, using technology, we have these iPads, but hardly anyone uses them because they like a lot of teachers they just they don't know what to what to do with them so i've been using um desmos which is a graphing program um to show them how what happens when you manipulate an equation what, what does it look like so they can visualize it and presenting them with challenges especially the gifted and talented students so that they can discover the formula instead of me giving it to them and so they end up doing these cool things and they don't even realize they're they're coming up with these formulas so um, yeah, I mean, of course, getting kids to even care about learning in general, you have to be able to build those relationships, and that's number one for me is being able to connect with them it, from day one. Like, they'll be filling out the Get to Know You cards, and I'm, I'm not just collecting them and throwing them away. I'm, like, in the moment trying to read them. I'm so curious about getting to know them right then and there. Like, and they're all shy, and they don't know who I am, and I'm just, like, getting right in there and be like, oh, you wrote this? This is cool. Tell me about it, you know? So right away connecting and just, making them feel like they can be themselves. Um, and so, because, like, even if they're not good, at, they don't feel like they're comfortable in math. Like, I want them to have, like, be able to feel comfortable trying their best and learning and growing, even if it's just a bit. And they know when they come to my math class, like, they're going to have fun and they're going to learn at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I, I can't say it much better. Um, I do have a question, though, because I went to – um, Winona State, which is obviously, you know, like kind of like the opposite end of Minnesota from Duluth. When you went through the, the education program, did they make that explicit to you, like in your classes, that relationships were important? Or was that something you just kind of knew on your own? Um, I have a really good professor, um, and he is Dan Blazinski, and he's really, really, really awesome. Um, professor, he does a lot of educational psychology, and he really, like, we walked through lots of 
scenarios and just talking about like what's important in education and how the, how students' brains work and everything. So it was really really impactful that course, and and that's that's kind of where it all happened for me too is really putting it together, um, seeing that. So we did we did not. It wasn't like every course, but that was a main one for me that really impacted me. Right, right on. So, so we talked a little bit, you know, earlier that you and I have a very kind of similar experience, you know, growing up small town Midwest and then moving to Houston. Um, and you talked a little bit already kind of about why you made that choice to do that. But, you know, what were some of the struggles you, you went through in those first years, you know, adjusting from, you know, where we kind of grew up to where you started teaching? Uh, I would say, like, for sure, I I drove down here and traffic, dealing with driving when there's more than two lanes, that was scary. Um, it was like going to dirt roads, driving on dirt roads, so this craziness, you know, so that was a huge um, shock, for sure, and um, I mean, I, I, I traveled when I was younger, so it's not like I was unaware of, you know, cities and stuff and city life, but it definitely was. It was exciting being near all these stores and not 20 minutes away from a grocery store. So that got a little bad with my finances. I was just kind of like impulsive for whatever I went and bought. So, I mean, I really don't remember anything like negative really about the change. I really enjoyed moving here. Um, I think I think it helped that I had I'd gone away uh, to student teach in Ireland. I had a time for three months. That kind of helped with the whole homesick kind of feeling. I already knew what to expect. And I, I right away when I came down here, I found, like, um, a church to attend so that I had that community aspect. So, I mean, anybody who moves, because I moved by myself. I don't, I didn't know anybody in Houston. I, I don't think they can do it without finding some sort of community. I mean, it's hard. So even, like, Houston has so many different, like, even sports. Like, I joined a volleyball team here on Wednesdays and I play that, I do that and um, do something that interests you. They have all sorts of sports clubs and social clubs and young professional things. So, I mean, that, that definitely helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, uh, so could you talk a little bit about that experience of, uh, student teaching in Ireland? What was that like? So I, it was kind of an unorganized program. Uh, we were, they only had at, at my university three places we could student teach. It was like Slovenia and Ireland. And I don't even remember the other one. I think it ended up being on like a no-fly list or something. So I chose Ireland. I, I went with one other person. He taught physical education. I didn't know who this guy was. And we ended up having to share a house together. And we get there and there's, there's nothing in the house. There's no bedding. There's no... Um, dishes, nothing. They didn't tell us that at all. We thought we were just like being with a host family or something. So it was kind of stressful having to figure it all out. And, and we figured out we had to like, we didn't have any gas for any of the um, utilities. So we had to figure out how to get that too. So it was a huge stressful learning situation. I, I was teaching at a school that was, I had to walk to downhill one way and uphill the other way. There was like a really, really steep hill. It took like 20 minutes and it was an all-girls Catholic school. And it was like a really old-school kind of Catholic school. Um, it, it, I mean, it was it was very laid back at the same time. All the teachers over there, they have breaks for tea, and they have a really long lunch break. None of the teachers, um, all, the, all the teachers switch classes. None of them have their own class. So the kids stay in the classroom, and then the teachers bounce around, which is really interesting. But they just kind of seem like, you know how sometimes you'll get in those toxic environments where the teachers get together and all they do is kind of talk about other people or, like, complain? There was nothing like that. They were all really happy and just kind of joking around and having a good time, which is really refreshing. And I definitely think it's because they just, it was just a really laid back and fun environment. And they didn't, school started at 9, it was done really early, I can't remember what time it was done, but... It was short days and lots of breaks. That sounds awesome. Doesn't it? I know. I'm really tempted to go back. I mean, <laughs> I, I, anybody could, right? Like, 
people people teach in other countries all the time, but I mean, it is tempting. It really is. It was really fun, and I felt like they were just so welcoming. I was always out doing things with them, so I felt part of like I was part of that community. It was really hard to leave, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Once you got once you got past the, the shock of of getting of discovering the land truly on the land. <laughs> Yeah, right. exactly. Right. So I guess that really kind of prepared you for teaching in Houston to kind of, you know, yeah, exactly. I guess that really did prepare you to, I mean, if you can deal with that in a country where, you know, it's, yeah, coming to Houston was not that big of a deal for you. <laughs> yeah, good training, exactly. I, I really do think that's why I wasn't really freaking out when I moved here. And I had a, I, I met somebody through a mutual friend, and I ended up living with her when I moved down. I just we like met and signed a lease on the same day, and so it, it all worked out. So that was really helpful, just living with somebody too. Like that's the one thing: if you're going to move somewhere, like I was saying, you, you can't isolate yourself, and all it's not going to work out very well. It's mm. good so advice. What is in your mind, in your eyes, what is the best thing about um, teaching in Houston? I love how diverse Houston is, absolutely. Um, everybody has such unique stories and backgrounds, and in um, and, and our school, it's very, very diverse. And like I, I learned, we, we really like, as a, as a school, we really have, we encourage discussions about our differences and similarities and really like praise people for that, you know? So I love that about teaching in Houston. And another thing about teaching in Houston, some of the perks, I guess, is, um, the two weeks Christmas vacation and no state income tax, right? So those are good things too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know when and yeah, you know. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, my story is almost identical to yours because I didn't know anybody when I moved uh, to Houston, but I felt like. Well, first off, did they do the thing when you did the the beginning of the year training in Aldine where they put you in a room with a bunch of people from Minnesota? Because that's what they did for me. Like at the end of the new teacher induction, they were like, hey, here's all the people from Wisconsin. Go to this room. So I met a bunch of people. But I I loved how not just not not just that I met so many Midwest people, but I mean, the people in Houston are so awesome and they were so welcoming to me. And, and like you said, I miss, you know, because I'm only 45 minutes from Minneapolis, St. Paul, so I could go and do, you know, a lot of things that I could do in Houston, but I just love the ease with which you could do so many different things in Houston. That was, and I can't even front, the food down there is just, oh, I miss it so much. Oh my gosh, that's another thing. I'm such a foodie too, but I love the food here. And the fact that you don't have to, you like, you could eat at a different restaurant every day of your life. Like, it would never overlap, I feel like. With so many different places opening and closing every day. Mm-hmm. Just endless. And tacos everywhere. And, like, real tacos. Real ones. With real, like, everything is real about them. Like, up north, it's ground beef in a hard shell. Mm-hmm. It's just not good. But down here, it's amazing. So, I actually thought I hated Mexican food. And then I moved down here and had a taco. And my life has been changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seriously, I love it. Yeah, don't eat the Mexican it. food in, nor- in in the north. Do not eat the Mexican food. Seriously. No. Okay. No. <laughs> I'll concur with that assessment. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead? We'll skip the next question. I will go to the um. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, so I was scouring your Instagram trying to learn a little bit about you and I and I saw you had posted a bunch about uh your your service learning trip to Nicaragua. So I was kind of hoping you could talk a little bit about yeah. that and what you think the importance of service learning is. Oh yes, it's like I didn't realize how important it was for even those kids to see cuz I, I mean, honestly, we are taking these 6th and 7th graders to a foreign country on a plane. And their parents were fine with it. And that was really, really weird and shocking to me that they're just allowing us to take their children somewhere far, far away to Nicaragua. <laughs> so on a service learning trip, so it's not like it was this, like, fun, resorty kind of thing where we're playing games and stuff and exploring. Well, we did we did that for a few days, but it was four, it was four days of service learning. And so we were helping build a fifth-grade classroom 
and we worked with the organization Need to We. And um, so it's really cool. They did, they designed the program to be where they, they're working, and then at night they would do like a, a reflective discussion. And so that's when I really realized the impact it was having on our children because these kids, most of them, I mean, I think all of them, the well metrics came from wealthier backgrounds. And, I mean, maybe they've traveled, but they've never traveled like that. And they've never seen stuff like that. And that's, that's what I was realizing through their discussions. And what really surprised me is when they were talking about homeless people and poverty, and we saw somebody who's mentally ill on the streets walking around, and that, like, really shocked them. And they said, they were saying how they'd never seen anything like that before. And they were saying that it does not exist in in Houston, which that just made my jaw drop. And I was, that's when I realized, wow, these kids are really sheltered. They're very sheltered. They do not realize what our issues are around our community and how homelessness is a huge problem in Houston. And so it's just like, I, I really, really encourage it, especially at that age, like when they're young, to get them, like get young kids out there and exploring. And the, the whole program was through EF tours. Um, and so they're really, really great about the organizational piece and helping to present all the information to parents. Um, so I, I, I'm planning on doing another one in the future, not this summer, but obviously, but next summer I want to do something like that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quite. We're getting a similar experience with that, with uh, the Teacher Heart Out cruise, because we're going on the cruise with the Teacher Heart Out conference, and part of the cruise is once we dock in the Bahamas, we get to spend the day with the Baham- with the uh, Ministry of Education going into the schools over there, and, and kind of oh my getting, gosh. you know getting an idea about what's going on with them and their. Um, and the educational system and kind of chat with teachers. So I'm excited about that also. Um, That's amazing. I didn't hear about that. Yeah. yeah next is that, do they do that every year? This is the first one that they're doing. This is the very first one. So it's still not too late. If you want to get involved, we'll make sure we shoot that information over. Oh, yeah, we can um, we can help you with that for sure. Uh, the Teacher Heart Out conferences, they've, they've happened all over the country, but next summer is the first one they're going to do the cruise. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, we're actually going to Vegas in a few weeks. Yeah. Next summer for the cruise. Yeah, so we're meeting in Vegas. I've heard of the conference. I've I've never gone to it, but I've heard good things about it, and I did not realize they're doing this. It's amazing. Yeah, you know, and just to plug, and we'll give you this advice, but we will plug them as well because they're our friends. Right now on Donors Choose, like Donors Choose is matching like any funding for professional development. So we've heard stories already of teachers who have like, put a donors choose page up to go to the conference and like within days they've had it funded so they didn't ha- didn't even have to pay for it themselves so donors choose is running oh a really God. really awesome um thing or a, a program i guess what you call it so they're matching all not just that professional development but really any professional development projects that are out there i didn't realize they did professional development that's amazing that's really really cool mm-hmm yeah. That's the purpose of the podcast, enlighten the, the community of educators so that mm-hmm. everybody can be a part of it. Because, you know, I think I, I remember being part of, a, I used to be the worship leader at my church, and there was a minister who came to to, um, to, to, to lead praise and worship one night. And one of the things he said was, it works better when everybody participates. And that's what I believe about education. It just works better when everybody participates into the community. And and there's so many unique, authentic voices that need to be heard and need to be transferred to order up in order to uplift someone else. I mean, I may be able to share your words with some teacher, you know, in Boston who you've never known, but now they're inspired by your words and your, you know, what you've come through in education. And I think that's powerful as a community if we really tap into that. So. Well said. Um, well said. So I like that. Talk about. We were talking about travel and everything, and, you know, travel, I see, and music is a big part of your life, as it is with mine. Um, what do those, what, what do you do to bring those to life into your, in, and impact your kids, and your work with your kids? Well, it's kind of like I'm, I'm living, like, another life, because I kind of, like, do, like, a 
almost like a side hustle with with music gigs, and that all started my like, yeah, it's like my some some people and I like I, I sing for money, I guess. But um, my my boyfriend is a musician in the community, and so um, he does country music, and I have just recently kind of started singing with him on gigs, and and we'll do duets, and I'll flow like just do harmony with his song, so. Um, and it's just a, a, a nice way for me to make extra money on the side, too. So um, we're actually going on tour to Colorado, um, leaving Sunday for two weeks. And we're going to do oh, wow. the two of us. Yeah, we're going to do just the two of us all around there doing music at different places. And it's a cool way to just make money to just kind of support your travel. It's not like we're making money to make money. We're just doing it to experience the fact that we can um, support our travel kind of with that money that we use that we make um but we did a little promo video on youtube for it and it's crazy how fast kids can find things on social media but uh they actually i actually like this one girl had to tell me so bad she couldn't wait till school the next day she emailed me immediately i don't know how she found it like immediately found it and she has i found a youtube video <laughs> oh, it's just crazy! It's just, they're so, and then they feel so special because they found their teacher's YouTube video, and they they, right. they want to tell all their friends. They want to tell their friends like that they found this, and so I have all these kids coming to me whispering, "I saw you on YouTube with your boyfriend," and so they just think it's the coolest thing, and so like I kind of act like it's a secret between us, like oh, don't tell anybody or whatever. But then it's kind of gotten out there, you know, to the point where everybody kind of knows. So they, it's, it's cool because then they get to see me in a different way. They see me other than just like a teacher at school that does math. And it also kind of reaches the kids that are really musical and they realize, hey, I can be creative and love math at the same time. Because I, I know I grew up where I was more into music and um, singing and I was in band and I was really into band. And and a lot of times people would say, oh, well, you, if you're really creative, usually you're bad at math. Or if you really like math, you're, really, you're not that creative. But... Uh, it's just that's so wrong and they, they're not mutually exclusive they're very they go together in so many ways so mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's cool are, are you guys yeah, going to be in music and math are two different languages mm-hmm. they're two separate languages mm-hmm. and that makes you multilingual when you can speak English you know speak math and speak English at the same time I'm su- mm-hmm. I'm surprised, Will. You didn't take a crack at the fact that it was country music. I'm I'm surprised you didn't take a shot at me and my love of country music when she talked about that. Well, I I love country. Yeah, he's, he's a he's, he's a Florida Georgia line type of guy. I like. Oh all. my gosh, no! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's not real country. That's bro country. Yeah, That's it, not it, real. Well, oh. well, back in my day when they That's first started, that was real country. See, Back in country. my day, I, I, listen, I grew up listening to country, but I grew up listening to like Willie Nelson, the Conway Twitty. Yes. You know, oh like that's what I grew up listening to because it was more like blues. That's you know, because yes. country and blues are almost, I mean, it's the same story, just a different pattern. It is. Same keys, everything. Yeah, like Elvis. Everything's the same. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So. Elvis mm. was country, and then it turned into this style of blues. It's all, you're right, that's the real okay. deal. But it turned into something like very, very poppy, and now they, they label it as country. And now anything that's actually real country is under the title of Americana. So it's like they totally <laughs> kicked country out. It's, it's a totally different thing now. And so when I tell people that my boyfriend sings country music, they kind of look at me like, ooh, that's disgusting. What? <laughs> so I have to explain to them it's the real country. With, it has fiddle and it has the steel guitar. Like, that's an instrument you don't see much of, the steel guitar. And so most people don't know what it is when they see it. But, right, yeah, right. It's, 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 he's kind of educating people on the real stuff. So he's... He's bringing back a lot of the classic stuff that people haven't haven't heard of before and kind of modernizes it. So, mm-hmm. well, I'm definitely gonna have to become, become a follower. And again, I'm a musician, so I love all types of music. I have my preferences. Yeah. You know, I have what's in my everyday rotation, but I don't frown at all country music. I think that there are there are very few authentic country singers that, to me, fit the mold of that storyteller, that George Strait. You know, to Dwight Yoakam. So those are guys that I grew up listening to. Oh yeah. To. Um, mm-hmm. I love and that, it. You know, when you when you hear them, I mean, it's like it, 
you automatically identify with that voice, even if you're not a ton of fan of country music. So, mm-hmm. right. Um, and I will say, I, I still have a, a very fond, uh, uh, or I have a lot of affection for the for what is considered Texas country. I didn't know Texas country existed, but I got to say, I really, I really enjoy what they consider Texas country and those artists. I had a lot of fun going to going to the smaller venues and seeing those artists. That was, and that's maybe the craziest thing about moving from from my small town to Houston, because like you could go to any bar like on a Friday night and see a, and I could see a band that was better than any band like I had ever seen in my hometown. It was just so insane how much, how much good music you can find there. Um, Houston is good. I'll tell you, Austin is just a little bit better. I know. Oh man, Central Texas. Yeah. Houston is more of like the professionals that, they're not up late, you know, on the weekdays, and so you know they don't have live music all week. They might just have it on the weekends. But like in Austin, you go there and it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, everywhere, every day. Different vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you could give someone advice and say three restaurants that you would recommend to everybody that has to come to Houston, what are your three? What are your three? What's Brittany's three must try? Okay, so this is so. This is a really hard question because, you know, we talked about that so much. And, okay, so my, my food, my go-to, okay, tacos. I just had tacos today um, at the taco truck near my school and near my house. It's called Tacos Tierra Caliente. And it's they take cash only, and it's, like, really, really, really cheap, but it's authentic, and the meat's, like, super flavorful and juicy and amazing. So that's like my favorite taco truck to go to. That's number one, okay? And then number two for pizza, because that's my favorite food, um, pie pizza. It's kind of newer. Have you been to that one? No, I haven't. Uh-uh. I haven't I either. It's a hype. Okay. But that one is really, really good. Um, they kind of have some unique flavored pizzas, or like the ones that they have, they, there's like really good quality food ingredients on top. So like the Hawaiian pizza is like, really really thick smoky bacon with um chicken as well and honey and like all sorts of really good stuff so it's just like above and beyond on the pizza and then they also have really good Brussels sauce as well so that's a good place and then third barbecue because that's another thing that texas does really well that they do not do well up north Mm -mm. so barbecue i didn't think i liked barbecue until i came here but there's a place called pinkerton's barbecue that's really 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 good to the point where it's like melts in your mouth like the, the ribs are like candy amazing and the owners are really awesome too so like during the hurricane harvey stuff they they opened up their doors and they fed a bunch of people during that time just kind of free food for everyone who needed food so they're amazing people and it's an amazing place those are my three places are when you and your boyfriend are in Colorado, are you going to be in Boulder at all? We're not. We're going to do um, some of the more southern um, Pagosa Springs, Creed, Denver, Fort Collins, uh, Durango, but not that one. No, those are those are vibes. Well, well, in the place. in in the Denver Fort Collins area, that's right where Boulder is. It's kind of right one of those suburbs. Oh. If you get out that way, there's okay. there's a pizza restaurant called Boss Lady Pizza that is owned and operated by two girls that I went to high school with. It's super good. You get if you get in the Denver area, I suggest Boss Lady okay. Pizza. Okay, I'm for sure yelping it and finding it. Boss Lady Pizza. Yeah, yeah, Got it. it's run by two girls. Thank you. I actually the the girl that owns it and I went to prom together my junior year, so I've got a I've got a Aww. real love for her. So she's awesome. You got that connection. Oh. Yeah, her name is her name's Whitney. So she's awesome. So um yeah yeah Will why don't we just skip to the last three because I I know uh, we gotta we gotta get Brittany out of here she's got stuff to do tonight so let's let's let you wrap it up with the last three. Okay. Okay. Um. So what advice would you offer to a teacher who is struggling? I would say use your resources that you have. So people are the biggest resource. 
ask for help if you, if you can, if you can find somebody. I would hope that there's someone at your school that you can look and say, hey, they have their stuff together, they know what they're doing, and ask them to observe you and give feedback. Um, and, you know, it's, utilize your, your neighbors next to you if you're having a hard time and if they're off period, like hopefully they'll be helpful to, you know, help you with students if you need help. Um, and if, if you're at a school that has no support at all, I honestly, I would consider finding a school that has some sort of support. That's what, that's what really like drew me to the school that I started at because I knew I could tell by talking to them and they did like a interview as a department with me too, so that I could really see them interact with each other. Like it was almost like I was interviewing the school in a way where I was like, okay, this is what I need as a first year teacher. And, and that's everything, having that support at a, at a school because um, if you can't better yourself, there's no way that you can really better your kids and do your job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, what is your proudest accomplishment to date? I would say just reflecting on the fact that I've grown so much in the last four years. Um, I didn't really totally realize it until I, I just got a student teacher this year for teaching. And seeing her reminded me of myself when I first started. And it was kind of, that's when it really hit me how much I actually grew and my students actually trust me to teach them what they need to know and they listen and they actually follow my expectations. So I'm really proud of myself. And just, I've, I've had people tell me that and notice that about me too. And so it's just a really good feeling when you're acknowledged for that and when you can just acknowledge that about yourself. Because I had started, when I started teaching, I was not confident at all. And those kids can, like, smell that. Like, they can just sense when you're not confident. And when you walk in, you're not confident. And so I've, I've really stepped it up, and I, I feel like I know what I'm doing. So it's just a great feeling. It's one less thing to worry about. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And that confidence goes a long way. I say that it goes a real long it way. It really does. Yeah. It's everything. And and yeah. I think and I think that's and that's kind of to give you some background on us. That's that's really how he Wilkie and I became so close is because when I I had basically kind of fallen out with the principal at Hambrick and wasn't asked to leave but basically it was made clear to me that I should move on and and when I got to Stellick with Wilkie I was in a really I was at a really low point after having you know the job at Hamburg kind of fall apart and and he he recognized in me that I just lacked confidence and and he started talking to me more about who I was as a person and all the good things that I could do as a person as opposed to just talking to me about what I was teaching so I mean I'm super Super grateful for that, and I think that's you bring up that's such a really good point. You know, you said if you, you know if you're not bettering yourself, it's going to be really hard to to help your kids get better. So true, exactly. And just hearing all those good things that you are doing, so that you can like, at least that's. I mean, if someone's constantly telling me all the things I'm not doing right, it's going to make it worse. But when you're already struggling with confidence and being able to tell that person, you know, this is what you rock at, this is what you're really good at, it like helps build the confidence. So. It's really good to have someone that can do that for you. Mm-hmm. Well said. Very well said. So as we get ready to wrap up, you know, we want to, I want to first again, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking this time out. Um, I've really enjoyed this. I don't want this to be the last time that we connect, especially since we're right here in the same city. I'll keep you abreast of things that we have going on here. Um, yeah, maybe we, can meet, maybe we can meet up, me, you and your boyfriend, my wife, and have a good time and yeah. do a little jam session. I play a little piano. I struggle with the guitar, but I'm trying to learn it. But I do play piano, so maybe we can get together and kind of, you know, have just enjoy each other's awesome. company greater. I would uh, love that. That'd be great. Hey, don't leave me out. Tell me when you're doing it, and I'll just fly hey, down. I'm I've got like, nothing going on this leave, summer. So, <laughs> your fault. <laughs> maybe we can Skype you in, or you know, maybe do a FaceTime. Yeah. Hey, I don't want to <laughs> be Skyped in. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so this. This last question is, um, what do you want to be your lasting legacy? When it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be? I definitely, um, I want them to remember me. I want my students to remember me for making them feel special. And 
and making them feel like they can be themselves and comfortable in the classroom. And just being able to identify every student's gifts or strengths, like being able to get to know every student in a way where I can say something about them and acknowledge something about them in a way, something maybe they didn't see about themselves. So I, I don't want it to be about, oh, she was a great math teacher. I mean, yes, they can say that, but I, I want it to be about the relationship. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. About the relationship. And that, that totally. I will say... I will say namaste. I salute the greatness in you. <laughs> the greatness in your kids. That's, I mean, that's what your legacy is. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Great way to end it. Great way to wrap it up. There we go. Thank All right. you. All right. Thank you so much, Welcome. Brittany, for your time. And like I said, we'll we'll definitely be in touch, and we're gonna we're gonna continue this relationship. I feel feel like that's a that's a for sure. That's so. awesome. I think so. That would be great. I hope so. Absolutely.